Good morning. And a very, very happy Mother's Day to all you mothers here. I know we've said that already, but it's okay to say it again. And happy Mother's Day to all the grandmothers and the great-grandmothers. And to all the moms-to-be, which is very exciting. And a happy Mother's Day, again, to those of us who don't have our moms here with us today. We think of you as well, and we think of them. Um, Carolyn, thanks for that reading. I don't know if, where'd she go? She left already. The reason why I had her read, I, I wasn't sure how to pronounce some of those names, so now I know. I just go, I just go with whoever did the reading. I'll, I'll pronounce them as they did. Because I had a few different ones. So. Um, and a bit of an apology to moms today. This sermon is very non-Mother's Day-ish. There's not any kind of Mother's Day message, I don't think, in this at all. Um, in fact, as I was thinking about everything that we've got going on this week, how very little of it was Mother's Day. Like, I think of the sign out front. It doesn't say Happy Mother's Day. It says, Kingdoms Rise and Fall. <laughs> Cheery stuff. And I think of the, uh, the title of my message, The Beginning of the End. Not the most Mother's Day-ish kind of message. So forgive me, but at the same time, you did get carnations. So it kind of <laughs> hopefully balances out. It's funny how as we grow older, we can start to look back on our lives and we look at certain world events and we can remember exactly where we were and exactly what we were doing at the time of that event. And oftentimes it's due to something tragic that happens in the world, unfortunately. Again, sorry, it's a very macabre beginning, but here we go. But you know what I mean? You, you know, when you think of that question, where were you? What were you doing when such and such happened? I'd like to ask that. Does anybody remember, for example, we'll start about 50 years ago. Does anybody remember where they were, what they were doing when they heard the news that John F. Kennedy had been shot? Say again? Grade 11 science. Okay. Yeah. What about when you heard news, going back about, I don't know, 20 years now, what about when you heard the news that the Berlin Wall was falling, or that, you know, it was being torn down. You remember where you were? Yeah? Grade 11 science. <laughs> Interesting. <clears throat> well, we can start to peg a few ages here. No pun intended with that. Sorry. Um, anyway. What about when Princess Diana had passed? Do you remember that? When the news started to break out? Do you remember where you were? Karen, where were you? You were at work. Okay. I remember that one. This is starting to get into my age now. So I remember that one. We, <clears throat> we were having some kind of a youth group function, or we were about to go out for youth group, I think. And we were at, our, at my place that I was at at the time, and we saw the, the, uh, the news footage there. What about when Mother Teresa passed away? Do you remember, Reagan? Yeah? Where were you? Colorado? Okay. All right. What's interesting about Mother Teresa, she passed away five days after Princess Diana. And it's interesting, the world didn't seem to really notice. But I think Mother Teresa would have been okay with that, actually. She had someone much better saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And the one most pertinent to my generation, do you remember where you were and what you were doing when 9-11 occurred? Yeah. 
front of the TV, watching it live. Extremely surreal. We ate dinner watching this. I mean, yeah. I had an early morning shift at Thrifty Foods. This is back when I just had like four-hour shifts, and I was working five to nine, and about 6.30, all the news started to come in, and all the, all the uh, conflicting messages of what was happening, you know, really, really strange stuff. Does anybody remember where you were or what you were doing when you heard that the nation of Israel had fallen to Assyria and Samaria was no more? Because if you lived about 2,700 years ago, that would have been a very relevant conversation to have with somebody. I remember where I was when that happened. I was working in the fields. I was just coming out from a day in the fields. My mom and my sisters ran out to me. They had been to market, and you should have heard it in the marketplace. It was spreading like wildfire. Have you heard? Israel has fallen. Samaria is no more. Ten tribes of Israel lost, led away in exile. This would have been huge, huge news. Almost unbelievable. What? Israel? As we continue on in our series of the story, we've been looking at the sort of chronological narrative of the Bible. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the, the split, the nation of Israel split into two. We now had the northern kingdom of Israel. We had the southern kingdom of Judah. Last week, we looked at the prophets and how God was raising them up to, 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 to send his word to Israel. Israel, don't forget who God is. Don't forget your story. Don't forget what he's done for you. Cast off your idols. Come back to God. And oftentimes that word went just unheeded. It wasn't a popular message. As we zoom out and we look at the upper story of what's going on, we find that God has finally, after 208 years since the kingdom split, God has lost his patience with the northern kingdom of Israel and Assyria has marched against it. A reoccurring theme in our series has been that God's patience is always long-suffering. He always gives a lot of time for people to change their minds. But after 208 years, he said, enough is enough. And as we look in the lower story, we see how this all plays out. Hosea, Israel's last king, has rebelled against Assyria, now a powerful force in the ancient world. Hosea rebels by ending the tribute that he was supposed to pay Assyria. And a very funny thing happened Assyria noticed. Where's that money we're supposed to get from these guys? And though Hosea appeals to Egypt for help, it is too little too late. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marches against Israel and after a three-year siege, captures Samaria. And the Israelites are led away in exile. And when the Assyrians lead people away, it's not the prettiest sight. They like to put a hook through the nose and lead them away. And as I look at that, and I look at Israel being led away into exile, I can't help but think of those words that we heard Elijah speak last week. We looked at the time he was on Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal. And you remember what he says. He says, Israel, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And were those words ringing in anybody's ears as they were being led away into exile? And did those words come to anyone in Judah's mind when they heard of what had happened? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
how many were thinking, why Israel did you not follow the Lord? Look at where it's led you. Or maybe they didn't, because if we look at Judah, at that time, they weren't much better off either. They were in no better spiritual state. Could what have happened in Israel really be the beginning of the end? For at that time, Israel had a king named Ahaz, sorry, Judah had a king named Ahaz, who, unlike David, did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And despite the prophet Isaiah's words of warning, Ahaz worshipped other gods. He even sacrificed his own son. Really wicked stuff. So why does God allow Judah to go on? According to the writer of First and Second Kings, not once in 208 years of time since the kingdom split was there a king in Israel that did right in the eyes of the Lord. And while the majority of Judah's kings did not follow the Lord either, there were some who returned to God. And like David, served as an example to their nation of what it means to follow him. And one of those kings was named Hezekiah. Son of King Ahaz, Hezekiah took the throne about seven years after the fall of Israel. And immediately we see a very sharp contrast between how he rules compared to his father. Where Ahaz rejected the Lord, Hezekiah chooses to follow him. And we never really find out what makes him decide to do so. Maybe Hezekiah for himself could look back on, his, on Judah's history and understand that it seemed there's a pattern there. Whoever followed the Lord, there was blessing. Whoever didn't, there seemed to be curses. Or maybe he was old enough to know that he remembers when he was 18 and Israel fell. And that was enough for him to remember that God does keep his word. Both the good and the bad, God keeps his word. Maybe it's because he knew he should have a brother that he doesn't have because his father sacrificed him. Whatever the reason, he walks the talk and he makes some very sweeping reforms. Hezekiah did something that no other good king in Judah ever did. He finally tore down the high places, the places where people would go to offer incense to other gods. He finally got rid of these sacred stones that people would worship. He finally cut down the Asherah poles. Basically, he finally got rid of idol worship in Judah. This is huge. No other king, good or bad, did that. That was a big, big thing. The book of Chronicles tells us that Hezekiah made other reforms, including the reinstitution of Passover and temple sacrifice. But what's interesting is that this time, Judah was also a vassal state of Assyria due to a treaty that Ahaz had made when he was in power. And like Israel, Hezekiah rebels against Assyria by stopping the tribute patient, um, payments. And a funny thing happened. Assyria noticed. Eventually, Assyria comes calling. They come and they begin to capture certain fortified cities in Judah. And here we discover that Hezekiah wasn't quite perfect. Rather than go to the Lord, he seems to panic a little bit. Assyria! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Assyria, I'll tell you what. You tell me what I should pay you. You, you make the tribute payments. You, you, you give me a price, and I'll make sure that we pay that to you. And Assyria says, okay, we want this much. And Hezekiah has an excellent idea. 
that he will give actually even more than what Assyria asked for. In the Bible, it says he even went so far as to strip the gold off the doors and the doorposts of the temple to be able to pay the king. And a funny thing happened. Assyria noticed. (laughs) Hey, how much more of this have these guys got? And the next thing Hezekiah knows, more than 185,000 troops are at Jerusalem's doorstep. It appears that he wet their appetite for more. I don't know what Hezekiah thought as he looked out his window and he saw a sea of an army in front of his doorstep. What's interesting is that instead of building siege ramps and making battering rams, Assyria begins a campaign of psychological warfare against Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. They continuously ridicule Hezekiah. They ridicule his abilities to lead both to him and to his people. And most of all, they ridicule their God. Listen to what Sennacherib instructs his commanders to say. Imagine this going 24-7, yelling this over the wall of Jerusalem. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Has any god of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Eva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And this time, instead of looking to human means to save him from Assyria, Hezekiah looks to the Lord. He takes a a humbling position. He takes on a posture of, of repentance. He puts on sackcloth and he goes to the temple to pray. And he sends word to Isaiah and he says, do you hear what this guy is saying? And the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and the Lord basically says, who is this guy Sennacherib? Who is this guy? Don't fear him. His days are numbered. Well, time goes by and Sennacherib continues to try to break down Hezekiah. Sends a letter to him, taunting him and his God. Hezekiah takes the letter and presents it to the Lord. Lord, do you see what they're saying about you? And he prays this wonderful prayer. Listen to this. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone Lord our God. There are a few things about Hezekiah's prayer that I think are worth looking at a little bit more deeply. The first one is that Hezekiah doesn't pray a me first prayer. He puts God first. He recognizes who God is. 
that he's in charge of everything, even the situation that's outside his door. It's interesting that Jesus taught us to pray this way as well, didn't he? When he instructs his disciples how to pray, he doesn't start with me first. He starts with, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. He recognizes who God is. What's really interesting is Hezekiah, Hezekiah agrees with the enemy. Did you notice that? But he agrees in such a way where he's able to distill the lie that the enemy is also saying with that little bit of the truth. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. That's true. I can't deny that. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. That's true. I can't deny that. But, but their gods were only made of wood and stone. They are deaf, they are dumb, they are blind. Not like the true living God, right? And I think there's something there for us. When the enemy is at your doorstep and he's hurling condemnation at you, maybe about something you've done or something you haven't done, a sin in your life, Have you ever tried agreeing with him on that? Instead of trying to argue that? Because it takes the wind right out of his his sails. You know what? That's true. That's true, Satan. I did do that. You're absolutely right. But I also know who my God is and what he has done. Maybe next time, if you're feeling that heat of that condemnation, try that. Try agreeing with the enemy. And then tell him to shut up. Finally, when Hezekiah Hezekiah makes his plea, he does so, but only so that God may be given the glory. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Do our prayers do that? Are our prayers for God's glory or for ours? It's worth thinking about sometimes. Well, the Lord hears Hezekiah's prayer. And God responds through the prophet Isaiah. And first God speaks against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and all his taunts. I love this. Listen to this. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you, Sennacherib, and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. (laughs) Who is it that you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. And God does assert his sovereignty over all nations. Have you not heard Assyria? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. But I know where you are and when you come and go and how you rage against me. And because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. And I will make you return by the way you came. And certainly God follows through. And his words spoken through Isaiah against Assyria and King Sennacherib come to pass. 
That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people get up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. And one day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons of Adremelech and Sherezer killed him with the sword. Do you remember where you were and what you were doing when you heard that the army of Assyria had been wiped out without one single blow from the sword? Sadly, not everybody did, or not everybody cared to. Hezekiah eventually passes on, and his son Manasseh takes the throne. And astoundingly, and sadly, Manasseh does not follow his father's example, and instead becomes Judas, Judah's most wicked king. He undoes all the good that Hezekiah did. He rebuilds the high places. He leads Judah back into idol worship. He places altars to the foreign gods in the very temple of God. He practices sorcery and divination, and again we see this detestable practice of child sacrifice return as he even offers his own son. How does that happen? 2 Kings 21, verse 10 through 12 says, The Lord said through his servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins, He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And it's at this point that the fall of Israel really does begin to look like the beginning of the end. For how can God allow this kind of wickedness to continue? How can this kind of sin stand in God's presence? But I wonder what the people of Judah thought when they heard that. That Jerusalem would one day fall. How did they take that? Surely that can't be right, Lord. Surely that can't be right. Because you made a promise to David. And your promise was is that one of his line would always sit on the throne, that his kingdom would endure forever. So surely Jerusalem can't fall. And us, we are, we are David's people. We're from the same line. We're good, right? This can't happen. Isaiah must be wrong when he's talking about some distant kingdom. What's it called? Babylon? I can't remember. That they're going to come and, and take over. That can't be right. Surely no one will never ask the question, where were you and what were you doing When Judah fell, when Jerusalem was laid waste, when the temple was destroyed. And I think we're going to stop there with the story for today. And that's kind of an unsettling place to stop. Especially if you know how the rest of the story goes and what the answer to that question is. So where do we go with this today, church? What do we take away from this today for us? 
Because here's, here's what I don't want. I, 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 there's two things I don't want. I don't want us to look at what Israel or what Judah was involved with back then and say, well, we're not so bad now. We're not doing a lot of that stuff, right? So we must be okay. I think we have to be careful not to go there. But I also don't want to go so far that we look at God and see him as just this angry guy just waiting for us to fall so that he can act. Because I think that's also the wrong way to go with that as well. I think it's the wrong kind of fear of the Lord. But I do think we need to fear the Lord. I want to learn what it means to truly fear the Lord. To truly revere His holiness. And to understand in my heart and in my mind that my sin cannot stand before Him in His presence. I think oftentimes there's sin in our lives that creeps in and we become kind of comfortable with it. We try and co-manage that with our relationship with God. And I think we need to keep thinking of Elijah's words. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. Because that sin becomes that idol. It becomes our own high place, right? And we hold on to that when it needs to be torn down and it needs to be repented of. It's okay, kids. The message gets better. There's a lot of hope to it. But here's the thing. When the devil comes to my doorstep and he brings 185,000 reasons of condemnation to throw at me for not being a good person, let alone a righteous person, and he brings up 185,000 of my sins and he throws them at my doorstep, there is nothing that I can rely on to turn to except for the power of God and the power of Jesus to redeem me from that and to wipe out those 185,000 whatever they are. To drown them in his blood that was shed so that I might live. So that we might all live. What I want to be able to say more often, I want to be able to say, I remember exactly where I was. And I remember exactly what I was doing the moment that God's power broke into my life. I want to be able to say that monthly. I want to be able to say that weekly. I'd love to be able to say that daily. How about you this morning? Sometimes it's dramatic. <clears throat> Sometimes it's very gentle when it happens. But it happens. And God comes through. I want to follow him because he is God. The Lord is God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks. <clears throat> It's a hard message, Lord. It's a hard story to hear. But Lord, we thank you for your, your patience. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy that is enduring. And Lord God, we ask that you would continue to show us where in our lives, Lord, we do need to repent. We do need to let go of those idols that we hold on to. We thank you, Lord, that you are there 
We thank you, Lord, that you are willing to listen and more than ready to forgive. You are a good God, Lord. You are holy. You are mighty. Thank you, Jesus, that you will never turn away a humble heart. A broken and contrite heart is what you desire, Lord. Show us that sin that we become comfortable with that we do not want to give up. And help us, Lord, daily to do so. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We bless your name this morning. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen.